listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about the current marketplace, the way the changes that are happening today are affecting what makes up the ideal sales professional. To help us tackle the topic, we have with us LaVon Kerner, CRO of Revenue Storm. LaVon, thank you very much for taking the time to be on the show today. Ah, thank you for inviting me, and thank you for uh, allowing us to talk about what I think to be an essential and highly critical and probably somewhat controversial subject. <laughs> Excellent. So before we jump in, we'd like to start with uh, a question a little bit out of the ordinary. When you think about your career and think about how you got where you are today, was there a defining moment in your career that you go back to again and again that taught you lessons? And if so, what was it and what lessons did you learn from that? Well, it's it, it's a hard. Do you have all day or just a few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had this was in 1999, and my wife really still says it was a, a function of the turn of the century, but it wasn't. In 1999, I was reviewing what I was doing. I was president of a sales training company, and reportedly, I don't know that this is true, but we reported it was the fastest growing uh, sales training company in the world at that point, but we were being very profitable and very high growth rates. But I did a study in 1999 uh, to find out the impact that our sales training was having on the marketplace and especially on our customers. I was convinced at that point I was going to write a whole bunch of case studies that show marvelous return on investment, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it, it didn't happen. Uh, I not only got discouraged, I got embarrassed. And uh, to the point that I uh, I resigned. And Whoa. I took off, uh, I took off better part of a year. And th- I, I came to the conclusion that sales training doesn't work. And that's what I was doing. So I thought about it a lot. I thought, and I came up with an idea that maybe we're training the wrong people and maybe we're not doing the other things that training needs to be successful. So I reinvented the whole approach and uh, started Revenue Storm in 2001, which was uh, about a year and a half after I had resigned. And so I took a whole new approach, but that was a defining moment. That was a very sad moment for me, a very embarrassing moment for me. And uh, it's changed my whole outlook on how to develop a sales organization. I mean, that's a that's a pretty large epiphany, right? That sales training doesn't work. You weren't seeing. I, I'm assuming when you were doing that assessment, you weren't seeing the results with your clients that you wanted to. Before we move on, just because I'm I'm just curious, what was it that you found about sales training or thought about sales training that wasn't working? We weren't changing behaviors, and what we did was not self-sustainable. So uh, two problems. I I refer to it as vision drift, much like a New Year's resolution. They come (laughs) to training, and they really like the idea. But uh, And now I've read since then, I didn't know this at that time, that about 80% of what one learns in a training program is lost in the first 90 days. Well, my studies 
uh, proves that. But I didn't know that set of statistics from the academics at the time. So vision drifts was a really, really big deal. And it was more than discouraging, Chad. Uh, I was embarrassed by it. I mean, people, people had spent a lot of money and I couldn't, I couldn't point to what we had done for them economically to the degree. I mean, we had incremental bumps and, and we had wonderful evaluations, wonderful critiques, but the really real uh, Chad just wasn't there. And so that led to Revenue Storm. So can you give us a little bit more context around what Revenue Storm does and your role there? Well, it was, uh, I, uh, I don't want to take up a, a lot of time. I don't know what my time constraints are, but I decided that one of the things I thought that maybe we're training the wrong people. Maybe not all people can be developed. Maybe not all people uh, have the uh, ability to, to be developed to the next level of sales effectiveness. And so I searched the entire country to find a psychometrician that was willing to partner with me. And I found one, Dr. Fred Raffleson, and I found he, he does, he developed a whole battery of tests, uh, unbelievable tests. And one was for police force. Most police forces in the United States used his stuff. And he could, he told me he could predict what a person would do in live gunfire. I thought, all right, <laughs> that's close. That's, that's, close that's, a, that's one heck of a thing to predict. <laughs> yeah. And then he also does, he does all the testing uh, for uh, firemen. And I thought, all right, again, he said he could, he could, he could predict what a person would do in a burning building. Now, you take those two things, I thought, I found my man. <laughs> and after a number of talks with him, uh, he, he finally agreed that we would work together and we would develop a psychometric test that would allow us to have valid predictability. And we did get it above 85%. And you, and you think about that, that's, that's really something. So now I can tell you who can and cannot make the journey. And now I can tell you Instead of doing off-the-shelf cookie cutter sheep dipping training, which I did for years, 15 years, now I can offer people prescriptive training, or if you please, science-based training. So it's an extremely different approach. It's just it, it just turned the training upside down for me, and so now we're able to do that. And so, when we look at the at the marketplace today, the emerging marketplace today, uh, everybody there a lot of trends, a lot of things people are talking about. But I would love to get your perspective on how that's changing the redefinition of the role uh, of tomorrow's sales professional. Well, not only did we change our approach, but the market changed, as you were saying, dramatically. And and the the B two B sales expression uh, pretty much became in effect and hasn't changed since in the 1960s during the time that Thomas Watson uh, came out with the selected uh, uh, typewriter at IBM. <laughs> and, mo and most people don't even know what on this telecast probably I, not I, heard I, of I, a typewriter. I, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember that, but it's, it, it, you're right. there's some that won't know what a typewriter is. But, but most people would agree that's the time that B2B sales became a viable profession. And the truth is, it it has increased a little bit in its sophistication, but no radical change until right now. 
until some trends. And let me let me just name a few of the trends that are impacting. And it's not one trend. I think one trend would have not done the disruption that I'm going to tell you about. But when you have more than one trend converging at the same time on top of the same profession, then you get this wow disruption. So you've got like the trend, just the economic trend is a big one. Uh, we've just now finished, what, uh, seven years, eight years, and we never got above 3% growth. And I can assure you that most companies have an ambition of growing more than 3% a year. And so the economy has has really had an impact upon how we sell. So put that up as number one. And you put up number two, uh, that there are alternative sources. I know when I first started selling back in the early 1980s, that I I was God. I mean, I had I had all the information. They couldn't go anywhere else. They could only <laughs> get it from me. And so I had the stuff, man. I had it. But now that's all changed. I just got back from India, just really just a three days ago. And and there are people there who can, on call centers, and they're being trained on even how to sound like Americans. And you think you're calling uh, somebody on the phone or they're calling you and you're talking to somebody in Boston or Charlotte or, or wherever, and you're really talking to Mumbai or Chennai or Bangalore. And these people can give you information that wasn't available before. And if and if not that, you can just get online. And according to Gartner, now that 85% of the communications between B2B is going to be done without a human being by 2020. So you start seeing all of those things. Those are real trends that are going to change forever the role of a sales professional. So I've given you two. Let me give you a third one. Uh, the time I remember when I was uh, working with IBM, we would take people uh, behind the curtains and show them the hot mainframe that was going to come out. <laughs> right. We would actually have people, Chad, you wouldn't believe this, but we had, we used to say, look, you, you don't want to spend that kind of money on a mainframe. I mean, in just two years, this will be available. And so just wait. And people would for two years. You would stall a sales cycle for two years. Today, the average is less than six months for innovation to come out. And so that's a major change. And, and there's one more that should be said, and that is in December of this last year, there were 88 million uh, millennials in our marketplace, in America, North American marketplace, and that's 46% of the workforce. Now, at one point, those millennials that were in, they weren't in a position of authority or not in a decision-making, but they are now. And as you know, Chad, they talk differently, they research <laughs> differently, and the end is they buy much differently. So if you put those four trends I just mentioned pretty quickly, they all converging now at the same time on top of the same profession, sales, account management. 
Well, and that, so, that example that you talked about with the, with the Indian um, call centers, right, and them being yeah. able to provide information, are, are we moving to a point, and I, I think this is kind of where I, where I fall down on it, but I, I would love to hear your perspective. I, I think in the future, because of the availability of information, am I wrong in assuming that the best B2B sales professionals will be more than just curators, but they will be guides of, of connecting the dots like you did with those four trends? Um, that's a value that a buyer wouldn't necessarily get just by reading things. They might put those things together, but you, as a as a professional, you know, a salesperson, uh, staying on top of that, staying informed, critically thinking about those things. Um, that I think, am I wrong? I think that's going to be one of the skill sets that's going to be critical moving forward. Uh, yeah, yeah, only I would. I would double or triple the emphasis on what you just said. It is, you still have to know there are table stakes. You got to know enough about your products and so on that are table stakes that allow you to play the game. But that's not going to differentiate you, and that's not going to keep people from just going to the internet or listening to an outbound call center uh, that can give you the same kind of information quickly and at your fingertips. What they're really hunting is for what they can't get from the internet and they can't get from Mumbai. Uh, they can only get from you if you are properly uh, been developed for the new role of a sales professional. And so what, so let's talk about that, that new role. So what's, how would you compare and contrast, you know, kind of B2B since it started the B2B sales professional and, and, um, and I started before the, the internet too. So it was great to have, you know, be able to provide that information and you're right. The landscape has changed, but with the convergence of all these trends that you mentioned, what's uniquely different about the sales professional of the future? Well, the best way to do that, if I could uh, help your listeners, if they could just kind of draw a circle in their mind and then divide it into four quadrants. And then I can show you very quickly, just in your mind's eye, what that change is that's happening right now uh, as we speak. In quadrant one of your model that is in your head, you call that the world of transaction, transaction selling. That's a very was very common. It still is very common. And the people in the call center or the internet, that's going to go almost entirely in that direction. Level two, level the second quadrant. And that's when uh, you and I, if you recall, Chad, oh, what, seven, eight, nine years ago, uh, people started saying in our business, we don't sell stuff. We sell, we sell solutions. solutions. <laughs> no, 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 no. We sell integrated solutions, end-to-end <laughs> solutions. And right here, one-stop shopping. So that became kind of the fad. And that would be what you would call level two. Level three in that circle, in the third quadrant, would be business consultant. At that point, you're not selling, quote, product-type solutions. You're selling, and now catch this, you're selling a business improvement value proposition, a business. And so you're selling to different people in the customer's environment, and you're selling much uh, more sophisticated business approach or business solution. At that point, you really are a business consultant. And level four, you would be AT&T going to Apple and say, hey, let's come out with an iPhone. So it's a joint venture. So those are the four different, we call them go-to-market strategies. So when you ask me what is different in the marketplace, I'm saying 
number two, or your the solution selling or more holistic process approach to selling, that's moving down into level one. The market is bifurcating, and that will be handled by the internet, call centers, et cetera. And you will not need a human being sales guy, especially an expensive sales guy. Then you have on the other side, level three and level four, that is going to be handled by a much more sophisticated uh, sales individual. And on the one side of that model, if you could just write in your mind's eye, and this is this is kind of the bottom line of the change, that level one and level two is really the home of traditional selling, which I call demand capture. Your job is to go in, uncover, and find it and bring it on home. On the right-hand side, if you'd write two words, that's the home, the new world of demand creation. And that's a very different. So in a nutshell, the world is now changing. Demand capture is going to be handled without a sales guy. And demand creation is the new home of a sales professional. Well, and I think that's a really important point because when I was when I was running um, sales teams, you'd always have the sales reps that would default to, okay, this is what I sell, and this is the problem I think I can solve. So I used to call I used to call it the black box. My black box is this big, it's this deep, it's this tall, and I'm going to go out in the market and I'm going to find places that that fits. So there's a demand. I'm going to slide the black box in there. The, but those that were able to actually interact and understand and critically apply themselves to create demand, as you said, those were the ones that were always the ultra high performers. And if I hear what you're saying, that's really all we're going to have room for in the future. That's right. Well, well the others will be taken care of offline without a sales guy. That's, I, I, that's what I want the salespeople to know is that they, they won't be needed. They won't be needed. If that's all they can do, they simply will not be needed. Well, and so how do you help them? How do you make people make that jump, right? Because you're talking about a skill set to be that business consultant, to do that joint venture stuff on that demand creation side. You're talking about a skill set that I don't know is easily taught. I mean, it's critical thinking, it's spatial reasoning, it's business acumen, right? So how, as you look at it, how are you helping your clients or suggesting that sales reps basically up-level their game? Well, here's the ugly. Not, <laughs> not all the salespeople can up their game. When we do psychometric testing, now this, this will scare some of the people in the audience, but when our we have over 21,000 people in the database uh, of these salespeople that we're talking about. And we now know that 47% of the people cannot be developed to that level three or that level four that I just shared with you. And that means almost one out of every two can't make the journey that we're just now talking about it. And it's the difference from going out and finding customers to the ability to go out and make customers. It's the ability to stop going out and finding, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, points of pain. You know? <laughs> yeah. And sir, what keeps you up at night? Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> so that whole approach to selling, that's that's going to be offloaded from the sales profession. That's going to be done by Internet and, and uh, the people uh, on the other side of the pond who are being paid a fraction of what salespeople are being paid here. So that's where that's going to go. But the ability to go out and create demand as opposed to capture. And it's interesting because 
even our expressions in the sales language have been built around that demand capture mentality. They call selling what you sell solution, which means there is a problem, as opposed to exploiting an opportunity. That's a very different. You go from known points of pain to unknown points of gain. And that's a very different dialogue that's taking place. And we know from psychometrics now what it takes to be able to sell in the new way and why most, and that doesn't make them, I should be very quick, Chad, that doesn't make these people bad people. It's just that they're not, they're not fit for this particular role. Oh, well, and, I mean, yeah, there's, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I'm not, I am not the most mechanically inclined human being. I am never going to be a master mechanic or I just right. don't have it. I don't like, we used to joke, my brother got all the math skills. I got all the charm, right? I just don't have that. <laughs> well, and I'm certain that your wife would validate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know the first or the second one probably don't want to talk about that, but <laughs> <laughs> I could probably find you somebody that would say I'm charming. I'm just not sure that around me very long okay well the the, the psychometrics is absolute. that's why everything we do today is is science driven we don't you know the old thing that used to say good sales people are born not made well what's that all about they don't say that about doctors uh, they don't say that about lawyer well they wouldn't ever say about lawyers anyhow but <laughs> but you, you the whole thing that there is no science to sales that is just absolutely wrong. We have found bushels and bushels of science. And so everything we do with a company is in fact science driven, right down to the individual, right up to the different sales cycles and so on. So based upon the 27 competencies we've identified, based upon the 34 attributes, the unchangeable attributes where you're hardwired, uh, we can predict with 85% degree of accuracy, uh, who can make it, who can't, what competencies that they will struggle in, what competencies can they be developed in. So you do prescriptive training and you follow it always with prescriptive coaching. That's the one-two punch that it takes to start moving people up to answer your question. Yeah, without the, I mean, without the coaching and the reinforcement, I'm, I'm 100% on the same page with you there. But let's talk for a second about, you said 27 competencies and 34 immutable <laughs> attributes. Can you give me an example of, give me a couple of examples of the top competencies that you think that your, your science is showing you that sales professionals of the future will need? Yeah, I just got in today, and I keep doing this because our database keeps getting bigger. And I asked them, what are the biggest competency deficits right now at play in today's market? Number one, executive credibility. Number two is political mapping. Those are the top two uh, deficits in organizations today from a competency point of view. If you go from an attribute, and there are 25 others of them, but and if you go to an attribute point of view, let's say you want uh, those two. Well, to be able to develop them at that level, there needs to be high, what's called high risk tolerance and the ability to have empathy. Now, isn't that interesting? You have a person that is a risk taker, but empathetic. You put those things together and you start to get an understanding of attributes 
Okay. That, All right. That makes sense to me. Well, I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised to see the empathetic at, at the top of that list. I mean, the, in my experience, you know, I've been selling for a long time and, and been doing sales coaching and stuff for a while. In my experience, the people that are the most effective have that innate ability to understand the world from the buyer, executive buyer's perspective, understand what they think about, what they care about, what they are trying to solve and accomplish, what their vision or mission may be, and be able to somehow uh, relate and connect to that. It seems to me, in my experience, to be extremely rare. Is that something that you see in your surveys and stuff that a lot of people fall out because... Well, quite frankly, they're, I don't want to, they're, they're not empathetic. I was going to say it a different way, but. <laughs> well, I would, I would just modify what you said. You said they have the ability. I would say they have the attribute or genetic blueprint or the DNA to be developed with that opera, uh, that ability. Okay. So it, there is a development cycle that needs to happen on top of them having the right genetics, if you please. And, and, you know, we we have to understand that people's attributes are not going to change unless you're a therapist yeah. and we're not going to be able to do that with every person that reports to you so you you need to and this is something that's just almost diametrically opposed to what's going on that you want to hire to attributes and then develop the competencies and that's almost backwards in every case. And you wonder why today there is less than a 50% success rate of hiring. It's because they're hiring to a resume that glows in the dark, you know, and that has all these competencies out, but you don't hire the competencies anymore. You hire to attributes. And then you can reduce the time to performance because you got an individual that has the right attributes that is hungry for the kind of things that you can uh, train them and coach them on. Well, that's a big mind shift. I mean, that's a, that's a big, you know, that's a, that's a big shift, right? From a lot of the sales leaders and managers and, and hiring people that I know, if you were, if I bet if I were to ask them just to write down, what are the things that you're looking for? They would probably give you the competencies before. I mean, I know they would give you the competencies yeah. before they give you the attributes. So when you're working with clients, how do you help them? Um, how do you help them make that shift? Well, there's a new paradigm that should probably be said right on top of that is in you and I, when we grew up as sales managers, we we had a coverage and we, so we covered the, the feet on the street, so to speak. But today you no longer count people. You The real paradigm today is he who has the most competencies in the fewest bodies wins. And so it's all about that. And to be able to have the most competencies in the fewest bodies, if you got to hire the right bodies who have the right attributes. And the only way you can do that is you have to use psychometric science uh, to do that. And this is 2017. And Chad, the science is available. Just blow your mind. Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah, I'm a, I am a, I'm a data geek. Like I love, I, yeah. I, I consume it as much as I can. I, I always want to. I guess I'm one of those guys that always wants to be, make sure I'm getting better, right? And that's honestly that's yeah. why this podcast started. I didn't plan on really doing anything with it other than uh, just having an opportunity to talk to people like yourself, professionals, and people that have that experience. I just I want to learn from it. So the data is fascinating. The application of it, though, becomes another question. So when you have a client who's willing to make the jump, um, 
are when you do like the assessments or or, or uh, interviews or, or assess the skills and attributes of sales professionals, and you show them the results, are they surprised? Oh, oh yeah. If we show it to their wife, but <laughs> 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 we show them, they they're uh, yeah surprised, but more than that, they're disappointed. And for the first time, they can see where they've been blindsided, or they can see where they've been outsold. And you know, they scratch their head and swallow hard, and and they say, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. That's really true. But more important then, then you can provide not only prescriptive training. I mean, most training, again, it's not prescriptive. uh, Three mistakes are made that I committed every day when I was president of that sales training company. I'm not proud of it again. It's embarrassing. But I overtrained in the wrong competencies. I undertrained in the right competencies. And I miss certain competencies altogether. And people who buy sales training, that's the three mistakes they're making unless they're using prescriptive training from psychometric science. It's just that that simple. It's that simple. Yeah. And so, all right. So help me understand. So you, you go in, let's say, just for manageability for the conversation's sake. Let's say you go into a sales organization. You've got one... VP or director, and they've got 10 sales reps. And so what does it look like? You go in, they do these assessments, and then based on that, you identify those that can't be coached up, can't be you know, lifted up to the next level. So then I guess the VP knows who he needs to replace. And then the remaining ones, you at least know that to your, to your point of prescriptive training, you know, how best to elevate them. What, a, what can the makeup of that training look like when you guys engage that way? Well, I I don't think that's anything on my end. Is it on your end? No. no, uh, There we go. Is that better? Actually, no. (laughs) Hmm. I'm not hearing anything. It sounds. It's. I hear. Oh, you're not hearing anything. No, I I heard it a little bit, but now it sounds okay. Well, I hear it. I can ignore it if we can do it. So. Yeah, we should be. Let's just let's okay. see if it'll. Yeah, let's see if it'll settle out a little bit. But I mean, so so yeah. Back to the question. So, how do you? What type of prescriptive training do you come out with as a result of those assessments? But the way the way you do that, it's really kind of fun. It, we do what's called a competency calibration uh, thing because the competencies that your company may find as core, like all 27 are not equal, right? So you've got to prioritize them. And that's based upon to whom you're selling, uh, the nature of what it is you're selling, the nature of your sales cycle, et cetera. So we calibrate which of the competencies are absolutely core. And that becomes then we baseline them, uh, the individuals against that core, and we baseline them, uh, benchmark them against their competitors as well. So we have two points of reference. And then the curriculum and then is developed around those things. Okay, excellent. Oh, oh there's something else. There's, there's something else that I think you, you uh, given what you just said a few minutes ago, that you would find very interesting is coaching. Coaching is a bigger problem than just the training. People don't People are not good coaches because they don't know what to coach on. And so we have once once you get my profile and I report to you, you can go online with my profile 
and it will break down those 27 competencies to over 900 specific skills in the right order that you should be coaching me on. So you have enough to coach me on for a couple of years and develop me. And then you, you take that and go back to our opening comments about millennials. Millennials, number one, the number one thing that keeps loyalty of a millennium in a sales organization is do they think they are growing? Do they think? Well, if we're getting prescriptive training and prescriptive coaching, there is they are happy campers, and you've got a loyal person, and you've got and your biggest risk is not your low performers. Your biggest risk in a sales organization is losing your high performers. Right. But as long as you're doing those two things, you'll be able to keep them. Everybody's happy. Excellent. And so let's pivot here a little bit and talk about Revenue Storm. Can you help our audience understand how you, you know, when you approach a client, what's the normal reaction that I'm assuming you're going after, you know, top level sales executives? Uh, what's the normal reaction you get from them when you start to present this mind shift, mind shifting type of information to them? Well, uh, some are skeptical. And, and, <laughs> sure. and remember, <laughs> yeah, and, and do remember that people get to those levels by doing the things they've always done. And so there's a principle in history that all revolutions started in the palace and backpedaled themselves out of the palace. And so the people in the palace are not the instigators of change. They, they want to do what got them into the palace, and they fight off everybody who wants to change that. Right. And so, so you've got to break through that. And so the best way to do that is we, in most organizations, create what we call an island of excellence, take an unperforming area within the organization, and every organization has them. It could be a product line. It could be a geography. It doesn't matter. And then we apply this science approach, and then we get – Unbelievable, dramatic results, the kind of results that I used to pray for when I was president of a sales training company. And once we get them, and then the whole company always, always, because a company is nothing more than a made-up collection of copycats. And anything <laughs> that works, that's what people want to do. So that's how it works. That's, uh, and I made that simple, but that's how it, that's really how it happens. Yeah, so it's your typical, you know, land and expand. If you can prove it out in one area, then everybody else wants to replicate it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, it makes total sense. So let's change direction a little bit. I ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply, as a revenue executive yourself, you, you know, CRO at Revenue Storm, that makes you what we um, politically correctly would say prospect. I just like to call it like I see and call it a target for other sales professionals. When somebody is trying to get your attention or they think they have something that's going to be able to solve a problem that you may have, what's the best way for someone you don't know to capture your, your attention and get in front of you? Oh, good question. Uh of course, they have to show they've been through revenue storm approach. <laughs> now, other than that, I need them to come at me, not through my company. That was the old training trick. You got to know their company, know what their business issues are. No, no. I, I run the company and feel pretty good about that. And I feel pretty good about what we're doing. I feel pretty good about our growth rate, et cetera, et cetera. I want them to come to me through my industry, if they can come to me 
with industry knowledge. And the, the battleground has moved from the company into the company's industry. So you never can know a, an, an individual's company better than they know it. You'll always be one or two questions away from being exposed. But if you come to me to the new battleground, which is my industry, that's an area where I'm not yet formulating my my response. I I haven't formulated my strategies. I, I sometimes don't even know what the new trends are in the industry. So if the salesperson comes to me from that area and they can put something in my mind that I have not thought, or if they put some options that I've not considered or help me draw some connections that I've never drawn, he's got me. I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna suck him dry because that individual has just become a resource to me. And they're that's providing value. They're providing more than just content curation. They're providing value right. and insight. Yeah. Yep. They become a strategic resource. Perfect. Perfect. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales professionals that would help them prepare in the, in the changing marketplace that you think would make them more successful. What would that be and why? Uh, I'll give a very simple one. You've got to come to the place in your mind that there will not be enough customers for you to find, for you to make your growth numbers. You're going to have to shift to making customers rather than finding customers. That means you're moving from demand capture to demand creation. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. That should be number one on your list. Excellent. That was perfect. Thank you very much, LaVon. If somebody's interested in getting in touch with you to talk more about this, learn more about Revenue Storm, uh, what's the best way to get in contact with you? You can call Revenue Storm or you can call me personally, 630-841-2373 or email me at LaVon at RevenueStorm.com or just get on our website, Revenue Storm. Uh, website and uh, say contact me. So any of those things work. Excellent. Levon, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. It's been great having you on the show. Well, thank you, Chad. And thank you for good questions. And thank you for allowing people like me to put this kind of information out in the airwaves. It's much needed. And you could, you're doing a really good service by uh, making that happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you again. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode. Give us a review on iTunes so we know which guests you're getting the most value from. And finally, remember, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.